Father, as we find ourselves in your presence today, we certainly declare that we need you, that every hour of every day, every minute, every second, we need you. We're so thankful that as we cry out to you, that you are faithful to be with us, that you're faithful to be present, that you're faithful to give us your peace and your power. And so, Father, as we open up your word, as we turn our attention to what you have written for us to hear today, we pray that your Holy Spirit would remind us of our need for you in this time. In the good, precious, holy name of Jesus, we pray, amen and amen. Go ahead and find a seat and take your Bible, open it up, or if you use an app, go ahead and get that app open up. We're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5 this morning, as I want to spend a few minutes uh, walking through some, some thoughts and some ideas with you on this subject, the powerful potential of pain. Of course, pain and suffering, I don't have to convince you that it's uh, something that we experience in life. It's um, not something from which we are immune. Uh, in fact, as we look back over the last uh, weeks, we realize that uh, we have experienced that. You may be in a season of that right now. You may have just come through a season of that. You may be preparing to go through a season of that. It is something that impacts all of us at some age, stage, and phase of our lives. And today I want us to, to think about that really from the, the lives of two people, two people that, that really have hardly anything in common. And in fact, about the only thing that they have in common is the fact that they are going through this difficult situation together. And we're going to be able to get a glimpse, even though their situation is different, the reality that they experience is the same. And we're going to get that glimpse today into their lives, you know, sometimes when we walk through those seasons in our life, it becomes difficult to be able to see what God might be up to. In fact, there are some times that we even wonder if God is there to, to start with, or, or if he is there, certainly what is he up to? And as we get this glimpse into the life, one man by the name of Naaman, the other person is an unnamed girl, we're going to get a glimpse into how God might be working working behind the scenes. Let's look at our text, 2 Kings chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. It tells us that Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. So now we're introduced to this man named Naaman, who was a commander in the Syrian army. The Syrians were not God's people. Israel, that was God's people. But just you, did you notice in our text how it tells us that the Syrians, God had given Naaman the ability to lead the Syrians to defeat God's people. This was punishment for Israel's sin, their repetitive resistance of God, and now God was judging them by using the Syrian army to come in and to throw them out. So this Naaman is a man who is powerful, but he has leprosy. At this time, leprosy is the most feared disease in the world. 
It began as a small white powdery patch of skin, and and then like a rash, it would soon spread over the entire body, and wherever it spread, the nerve endings would then deaden because they were exposed, and then the flesh would open up to these gaping wounds. Hope you had not had your breakfast yet, but I'm certainly helping you fast for your lunch. And uh, it would would become a uh, a very uh, uh, unattractive thing to have to walk around with all the time. In fact, as the leprosy spread over the individual, whatever part of the body that the leprosy infected, that part of the body eventually would fall off. Faces would become discombobulated and disfigured, and it was not something that anyone wanted to deal with. Leprosy was incurable. Leprosy had a 100% death rate. It was considered highly contagious. If you contracted leprosy, you were then forced to go isolated isolate either by yourself or with other lepers, and you were there until you died. This mighty man, Naaman, on top of the world, realizes he has one of these spots of death. Verse 2 tells us, now the Syrians, on one of their raids, had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. Here is our second person who's suffering. She said to her mistress, Would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his Lord, Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. This would have been an enormous sum of money. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he's seeking a quarrel with me. The king of Israel misunderstands. He thinks that the king of Syria is looking for a reason to go to war. He sent me this guy to cure him of leprosy. I can't cure him, so he's going to come and fight me as a result of this. But look at what it says in verse 8. But when Elisha, and Elisha was that prophet that the little girl mentioned in verse 3, when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Let him, Naaman, come now to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. Elisha believes that there may be a bigger prophet purpose behind Naaman coming to him other than curing disease, because he doesn't say, let the man come so I can cure disease. He says, send Naaman so that he may know there is a prophet in Israel. God may be up to something, Elisha says, in Naaman's life. 
Verse 9 says that Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house, and Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. Elisha doesn't even go out to see him. The most powerful man, and one of the most powerful men in the world, is at the home of a relatively unknown prophet, and the prophet won't even go to the door. He sends a messenger. But Naaman was angry and went away saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Naaman says, wait, I thought that there'd be a ceremony. I thought Elisha maybe would come out with pyrotechnics, with with lightning and with fireworks and with smoke. I I thought maybe a, a plane would fly over. I thought maybe Kanye would show up and sing Closed on Sunday. And I thought maybe Chick fil A nuggets would fall from the sky, and I'd be healed. But nothing like that happens at all. And he says in verse 12, this is Naaman speaking, are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, is it a great word the prophet spoken to you? Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, Wash and be clean? What have you got to lose, Name? Let's try it. Let's swing by the Jordan the way home. And if it doesn't work, we can come back here and we can fight. So, verse 14, he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan. I would love to have been there because as he's going down the first time, nothing happens. You can imagine him getting mad. The second time, nothing happens. All the time, up to seven times, according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Don't miss the gravity of this moment right before we get to verse 15, to where everything in Naaman's life, since he's found out he has this leprosy, he has gone through this time of pain and suffering, and now it has been healed. You would think that surely he's going to come back. Surely he's going to go to Elisha. Surely he's going to say, Elisha, you are the bomb. You are the man. Elisha, you have been able to do this. My leprosy is cured. But notice what he says in verse 15. When he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, he came and stood before him. And Naaman said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Naaman is meeting with Elisha for the first time. And all of a sudden, his focus is not on the healing from his leprosy, even though that is what he was initially seeking. God used Naaman's search for a cure. God used his pain. God used his suffering to lead him to something even greater than the cure itself. He used his situation 
to lead him to God himself. And this relationship with God was so valuable that when Naaman finally met Elisha, he forgot to even mention the fact that he was cured from leprosy. All he talked about was God. I know that there is no God in all the earth except the God who is in Israel, which leads me to one of the main takeaways we gather when we think about the, 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 the potential power of that, that God can work in painful situations. It's this, pain has the potential to bring you closer to God. Pain, suffering, weeks like many of you have had this week, or we will have in the future, has the potential to bring you closer to God. Let me pose it to you by asking this question. What if God, in your pain, has something for you beyond and better than even the cure for that pain? What if this thing he had for you and your relationship with him was so valuable that after you found it, like Naaman, you forgot to even mention the healing you've just received? What if God is bringing you to himself instead of a cure or a solution? And what if you found out that the Savior of your soul is greater than the solution to your temporary problems. You see, for Naaman, up until the moment he discovered that he had leprosy, he felt as if he was on top of the world. He was the king's right-hand man. Scripture tells us he was highly regarded. He was a celebrity. Everyone knew him. Everyone wanted to be associated with him. And all of that was taken away in a moment, in an instant, by one small spot on his skin. Something so small caused Naaman to realize how fragile and how weak and how fleeting life is. Has a spot been revealed in your life that has caused you to realize the same thing? Has a spot been revealed in your life that has taught you or reminded you that maybe you're not as together as you appear to be? That maybe you're not as in as much control as you thought you once were? Maybe that spot for you is a problem in a relationship that that you have and you can't do anything. It seems to be helpless and beyond your control and you feel helpless and hopeless in that relationship. Maybe that spot for you is a health issue that has reminded you of your own mortality. Maybe that spot for you is a cemetery. It's a, it's a, it's a tombstone. It's standing by a casket that's reminded you of the fleeting nature of life. Maybe that spot is for you is a habit that you cannot break. Maybe it's a fear that paralyzes you. Maybe it's a personal failure that haunts you. Maybe it is a guilt that you cannot escape. Hear me this morning. All of those spots point us to a bigger problem, our sin. In fact, throughout the Bible, leprosy is meant to symbolize Sin, like leprosy, sin deadens 
it grows in you, it spreads, and increasingly corrupts you over time. You see, my soul and your soul had or has a disease, and it's terminal. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death, and all of these lesser spots, we're not downplaying them, we're not negating their existence or the pressure they put in our lives. What I want you to walk away from here knowing today is all of these lesser spots are meant to wake you up to the ultimate spot of sin in your soul, and if you can get that spot taken care of, which we'll see how in a minute, and if that spot's taken care of, God that empowers you to handle the other spots that come up in our lives. You see, the point of Naaman's life isn't to teach us that every leper who heads down to the Jordan River is going to find healing for his skin disease. The point is to show us that God uses these things. He doesn't cause them, but he uses these seasons to bring us to himself. This narrative is about how God pursues sinners. So Naaman says in verse 15, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth, but in Israel, look how the story continues, so accept now a present from your servant. Naaman says, let me give you a gift for healing me. But he said, this is Elisha speaking, as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive none. And Naaman urged Elisha to take it, but Elisha refused. Elisha knows that to receive this gift might confuse everyone watching. Naaman began this process by thinking he could purchase this miracle with his riches. And if Elisha ends up giving him this gift, even if it's out of gratefulness, if Elisha receives this gift, people could assume that Naaman was able to purchase us. And one of the most important things that we need to hear and understand about the gospel is that it is always a free gift of God's grace. It cannot be purchased. It cannot be earned. It must simply be received by the grace of God. Then Naaman said in verse 17, if not, please let there be given to your servant two mule loads of earth. Sounds like an odd exchange some gold versus some dirt. For from now on, your servant will not offer burnt offering or sacrifice to any god but the Lord. In this matter, may the Lord pardon your servant. When my master goes into the house of Rimon to worship there, Rimon is a false god, leaning on my arm, and I bow myself in the house of Rimon. When I bow myself in the house of Rimon, the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. Let me pause here. This is, we're going to get to the heart of the gospel. Naaman seems to be asking for permission. He says, okay, now I recognize there is but one God. Now my master, the king of Syria, he's going to go into the houses of the false gods. So when I go into the house of that false god with him, and uh, when I bow down beside him to that false god, do not hold that sin against me. May God pardon me for the sin that I'm about to commit. Now Elisha is a prophet, and you would expect that Elisha is to go all prophet on him. You would expect that maybe Elisha is going to 
to call down fire from heaven as his predecessor did. And maybe Elisha is going to uh, uh, tell Naaman how big of a spiritual bozo he is being. But look at what Elisha says in verse 19. He said to him, go in peace. Naaman's obedience is not perfect, but it's a start. He's coming to God in faith, and God receives him. You start life as a baby, right? Now, I know there's probably some exception to this rule, and there may be an exception to this rule in here watching online, so if you're the exception, don't send me an email. I'm saying right now, I realize there are exceptions, but 99 times out of 100, babies crawl before they walk. Babies drool, and you don't go, oh, how cute the drool, look at all that spit up coming out. Babies, or at least one of ours did, projectile vomit what you feed them. Babies spit up, babies run into walls, they fall, they break things. You know what? That's okay, because that's part of growing up. It's part of becoming something other than a baby. You see, following Jesus, listen, following Jesus is not about perfection. It's about repentance. Following Jesus is not about the destination. It's about the direction of your life. You are always either moving toward Jesus or you're moving away from him in your fellowship with him. Following Jesus is not about your destination. It is about your direction. There will never come a point in your life when you arrive spiritually, but God will guide you toward him if you start coming in his direction. But let me quickly focus on this other person involved in this And she gives us our second lesson. The lesson Naaman teaches us is that your pain has the potential to bring you closer to God. Here's the lesson the little girl teaches us. Your pain has the potential to bring others to God. See, Naaman's not the only one in the narrative. In fact, I don't think Naaman's the hero of the narrative. The hero of this narrative is this young girl. Think with me for a moment. Go back in your minds to what it tells us in the beginning of chapter 5, where it tells us in verse 2 that on one of the raids, the Syrians had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel. The reason they're able to carry her off is because they killed her mom and daddy. And when they carried her off, they took her away from everything that she has known. And some scholars think that this girl is maybe in her early teens, maybe around 12, 13, 14 years old. They carried her off from everything she had ever known. Carried her off from all her family. Carried her off from all her friends. And then they put her into forced labor. She's a slave. It talks about how her mistress 
was Mrs. Naaman, the wife of Naaman. Naaman, remember, don't, don't miss how these things are linked together. Naaman is the commander of the army. No one gives an order to kill unless it goes through Naaman. Guess who is responsible if you begin to look at the text and connect the dots? It stands to reason that the one responsible for killing her parents is Naaman. If he didn't give the order, he at least knew it was going to happen and okayed it. He's the one who orchestrates her removal. Now, if I and this little girl, I'll tell you how I would have responded when I heard that Naaman had leprosy. I would have delighted in his demise. In fact, I would have laughed at his leprosy. I would have said, serves you right. But look at what she says in verse 3 of chapter 5 again. Would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. She seems to genuinely care about Naaman and somehow, someway, because of her faith in the true God, has found it in her heart to forgive him. This unknown, this unnamed little girl gives us one of the clearest pictures of Jesus that you will ever see. She was suffering through no fault of her own. Her suffering was caused by Naaman's sin, but somehow she found it in her heart to forgive him. Furthermore, her suffering became the means for Naaman's salvation. Think about it. Had she not been in this situation, Naaman would have never heard about Elisha. Naaman would have never, would have never experienced a healing from his leprosy. Furthermore, Naaman without this girl would have died in his sin. Her pain she uses to bring someone else to God. And in that same way, our salvation comes to us through a suffering servant. Like this girl Jesus suffered not for his sin, but for ours. And like her, instead of hating us for causing his suffering, he forgave us and he kept on loving us. In fact, his suffering becomes the means by which we can have our sin washed away. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his stripes, stripes that we caused, by his stripes, we are healed. What a picture this girl gives us of Jesus. Because Jesus would come and he would live a life that we could not live, a life that experienced pain that is unimaginable in our hearts and our minds. A life who for those few moments on the cross was completely separated from his Father God, bearing the sins of the world.
You see, the greatest pain that we stand to face, and again, I do not mean in any way to negate the pain that we experience on this life, in this life and on this earth. That pain is real, but that pain can be productive because God can use it to bring us closer to Him. There are some things about God that we will never comprehend in a better way than when we go through suffering. And then God can use our pain to bring others to Him. But what Naaman's life and the life of this little girl ultimately teach us is that there is a pain yet to come that we can all escape. It is the pain of eternal separation from God. And because Jesus was the suffering servant, that pain is a pain that I will never have to experience. So that, as I told you last week, but you slept since then, so I'll remind you this week. The worst day you have on this earth, and there can be some bad days, but that worst day you have on this earth is as close to hell as you'll ever get if you know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And we find comfort in that. We find hope in that. We don't have the cure for everything. Jesus has the cure for our sin condition. And only in him and through his grace can it be found. And then like this girl and like Jesus, God can use the suffering experienced by his people on this earth to bring others to him. God does not want you to waste one more day. If you're here this morning or you're tuning in with us online today, and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I don't want you to have a relationship just so you get a get-out-of-hell-free card. I want you to come into a relationship with Jesus because you will find in Him the purpose for which you were made. You will find in Him the source of every need that you have had, have currently, or ever will have. You will find in Jesus a God worth following you will find in a relationship with Jesus a Lord that is who he says he is and it will do what he says he will do. Because this earth is passing and this life is fleeting away. But there is an eternity in which when we cross over into that threshold with him, he wipes away all the tears from our eyes and he pronounces there's no more sickness, no more death, no more pain. It's all gone away. The former things have passed away. And between now and then, we trust. When we cannot trace the hand of God, we trust the heart of God. If you don't have a relationship with him today, it's not complicated. You call out to him, ask him for salvation. As you confess and admit to him before him your sin condition, you realize what he's done for you in prayer. You call out to him, ask him to save you. Receive the gift he has for you. I don't know what step you are, where you are in your journey with Christ, but I know that God desires us to take the next step. Whatever that next step looks like for you, I don't know. But as a church here at First Baptist Milton, we want to come alongside you and help you as you take that next step. As you think about the next step, if you need to take one today, by all means, let us know. It's very simple to let us know. If you're here on campus, you look at the pew in front of you, there's a yellow card there. You just complete that card, or you uh, snap the code on that card, or you fill it out online, or you go online to fbcmilton.org decision. 
Let us know what step that you're ready to take, and we'll be glad to come alongside you as you take that step. As we prepare to end our time of worship today and to go into the world that God has prepared for us to be salt and light as we live and exist, remember that as we go through this week, we'll gather again on Wednesday evening uh, here at the church for midweek Bible study, and then we'll look to gather again next Sunday at 1030 for a time of morning worship. As you prepare to leave today, again, guests know we're glad you're here. You, if you brought an, uh, members, if you brought an offering with you, you can drop that offering off in the receptacles as you leave. If you're at home, you know it's first of the month. It's the time you normally tie. You've been very faithful to do that. And we're certainly appreciative of that so our ministry and mission can continue. Uh, you can then do that as well. Uh, by You can go online, fbcmilton.org slash giving, or you can bring that offering by the, uh, by the church office anytime uh, this week in the drop box or, or bring it into office as we are open. I uh, hope that God will uh, give you a good week. I hope that God will bless you. I think Bob Heller is going to dismiss us. So as he comes to offer our benediction prayer, uh, guests again know that we're thankful that you were here today and we look forward to worshiping with you again very soon. Time that we can gather together with our fellow Christians and worship you, Lord. We pray for our nation now as we undergo this COVID-19 problem with the unrest in our cities and the economic problems that we see, Lord, that you'll guide us through that. And that these pains might make us as a nation turn to you and become one nation under God. In Jesus' name.